Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. With the deep voice today. Swing low. <laughs> yeah, I'm sick. People are going to think that we hang out a lot more than we actually do and that I somehow got you sick, which is not true. No, not true at all. Mike Bonomo got me sick. Oh, that's right. I, I was getting over my cold, but I was well past the um, you know contagious stage by the time I saw mm-hmm. you. I have Siri on my phone, right? So I'm like, hey, Siri, who got me sick? And she says, Mike Bonomo. By the way, is it Bonomo or is it Bonomo? It's actually Bonomo. It's the Italian way of saying it. But Mike says, hey, win in America, right? So which way are we supposed to call him? Like, like really, which way are we supposed to call him? What does he prefer to go by? Yeah, never call him Mike. That's all I know. Just bon- Bonomo. You can call him Bonomo. I call him Bonomo now. I'm like, hey, Mr. Bonomo. And that's See, how I found out is he goes, that's actually my name. That's how you say it. Really? So now when I talk to Siri, I'm like, call Mike Bonomo. I did not know that. I didn't. Hey, you know how last week I put out the uh, request to church planners, anybody who uh be interested in doing a project, I'm looking for, for someone to help me with some Thanks. stuff. Dude, slaves. slaves, slave labor, looking for slave labor. I actually have received so many inquiries and I have not, like, I got overwhelmed by it. I have not been able to get back to anybody. I got so many. In fact, well, I mean, one I would, dude in I would, Germany. I would, I like, I'm surprised because I would think people listen to the podcast. I ain't working for that dude. <laughs> They're probably all thinking, he's so worldly. He's probably got the magic code to making money. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Which you kind of rich. Come on, sugar mama. So funny, man. So I actually um that's that's part of my plan this weekend is to get back to people. I was like, maybe I should have like 
defined a little bit more or you know do you really i mean because you do gotta work but it's just the potential of it's pretty good so well you made you made that clear that you have to work your butt off you just got to be willing to work your butt off and you'll make money one guy said that he had a lot of time up until august because um he starts a new job in august or something like that and i was like that actually would work out perfectly for this project so but the thing is i i mean i literally i've got so many we had one dude in Germany, not Joey Roper, somebody else from Germany, email me. By the way, this uh, long introduction is for you, Joey. This one's going out to you. Hector Every Mora said, <laughs> Hector Mora, what was his line to me? It was something like, you had me at tons of money. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, man. So funny. So, yeah. Eh. You know, this is totally non-related, but in the spirit of frustrating Joey Rupper, here's my... Which, by the way, Joey's a, a faithful listener, so we don't want to frustrate him too Well, much. he was a faithful listener. Have we heard from him in a while? No. I'm just Whoops. I'm just throwing that out there. That's true. So, Joey Roper, if you're listening out there today, let us know if you still love us, even though we give long introductions. Hey, today I was in my garden and my wife told me, hey, uh, I found this spider and it was, it looks like a tarantula. It's got a bright red abdomen and uh, I didn't know the half of it. Like I was like, where is it? You know, who said this? My wife. Okay. So I go out there, right? And I'm, I'm determined I'm going to go find out what the spider looks like. I kid you not. This is the freak. You know, like when you're a kid and like you go in your, your, elementary school classroom and they got this spider up on the wall and he's got like the the really bold forehead with like the eight black round eyes on it mm-hmm. like it was so pronounced this was one ugly spider he wasn't that big he was furry like a tarantula and he was compact he had the same body shape and he had an orange abdomen with this like nasty mohawk going up it and then like horror of horrors, I I catch him. How big was he? He was uh, no bigger than like a dime, you know, in 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 circumference. But I catch him right in a baby food container, as you do a reusable Tupperware. You know, wife <laughs> says, you know, catch it so we can look at it. So I first thing I think automatically, oh, baby food container. So I go and grab it, pop the spider in there, and I kid you not, you know, it's mandibles. You know, you know, is that what you call them? Like he's got. They don't have teeth, but they got mandibles, those things that come down. He's got it parted, almost like he's showing me his teeth. They are fluorescent green. How freaking freaky is that? What did you do with it? Did you, like, leave it in the container and forget to tell the family that's what's in there? No, I told him, hey, I found it. It's in the baby food container. It's like Pandora's box. Don't open it. All kinds of death will come out. And then I go on the Internet, and I search it, and he's... He's called. They're attracted, by the way. They get really angry when they hear train noises. But uh makes them really, really... Uh, and they start, like, secreting acid that burns through, like, plastic and glass and stuff. But anyways, the uh, I, I'm making that part up. But anyways, I look him up. He's a jumping spider, which makes it even more freaky, right? Like, it says that he actually... Uh, he's aggressive. He's a daytime hunter. He eats bugs and moths. And... um He'll bite you if he's threatening. <laughs> so I let him go. What the he's heck, not, dude? He's not poisonous. And then yesterday, Andrew tells me, oh, hey, there was this thing on the bedroom wall, and it looked kind of like 
almost, you know, like a roly poly, but it was bigger. And, uh, it was, you know, she told me it was about an inch big and she goes, and I, I stuck something up to it like a pencil. And she said this weird appendage came out of the thing and touched this pencil. So I'm convinced that I'm living in like South America, man. I got all these weird freaky bugs living on my property. I, I got a big property. It's like avocado trees, weird Mexican trees, like sapote. Most of you have never heard of that. I've never heard of a Mexican tree, but that's cool. Yeah. No, dude, it's a Mexican tree. It's pretty cool. It's from Mexico. It's called the ice cream fruit. That's its nickname, but it's called sapote. It's like a pear and a banana had a love child. It looks like an apple. (laughs) But when it hits the ground, I kid you not, you can't make this stuff up. It hits the ground. It splats, and these banana guts go everywhere. But it tastes freaking amazing, like a pear and a banana, and it has a slight aftertaste of laundry detergent. I don't even know how to respond to that. I really don't. I knew you wouldn't. But anyways, you know, I, it, it's one of these weird things now because I saw on the internet, like, there's killer uh, wasps that are, like, killing people. Have you have you heard about that? They're, like, from some – I don't know if they're from – all the scary stuff is either from, like, China or Africa or South America. Well, right? see, we always you know, heard about the African bees growing up. They were always like, oh, yeah, they're finally here in the United States. Oh, wait till you see the killer wasps that are making their way around the internet right now. That could be a total April Fool's joke. I don't know, man. I just see ads come up and I know better when I'm watching like YouTube or whatever. I'm putting the kids down. I know better. Don't click on those links. Right. But uh, there was one came up. It's like 41 people dead from killer wasps. It's got this guy holding five in his hand and they're as big as this. Freaking oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one. That's that's that was gnarly. Yeah, it's so hard, man, because I so want to touch it, you know? Like when you see a sign that says don't touch it. No, not me. Not at all. Not at all. I, not even I want remotely. I want to click on that and read about it because, you know, it's like we have this thing like, you know, obviously the African killer bugs are going to kill me, right? They're living in my house right now. They have fluorescent green teeth, and uh, we're all going to die, right? Get to the chopper. Dude, you do have fluorescent green bugs. That's um, that's That's pretty insane. That's all I'm saying, man. If I sell hey, that, I'll, I'm freaking out. I'm selling I'm the house. I'm going. I don't have to go to South America on the mission field, man. I'm living it right here, man. All the weird, freaky bugs are right here. But hey, as you can tell, I'm actually stalling big time for the world's most boring uh, topic in regards to church planner. In fact, in in the book Jump School coming out, ching, I got a I got a section called Stupid Stuff I Hate. And it's all the stuff that, that you have to do that you don't want to do, but it, it's necessary for a church. So, for example, um, let's say that uh, you're going to take uh, funds for your church plant, right? E- even if you're doing like a missional community, even Soma has giving. And they've got it set up even though they're missional co- house communities. Um, most, most missional communities still have a system of giving. Well, somebody's got to be the accountant. So we're going to talk about all that crud today, all the nasty stuff that nobody wants to do. You didn't go into ministry to be a bookkeeper. You didn't go into ministry to be a pencil pusher. But nonetheless, pencils got to be pushed and staplers got to be refilled. So I've, I've got a soundbite for that, man. Why are you What's the that? way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. (laughs) 
<laughs> he starts off. I think I cut him off where he goes, why are you the way you are? <laughs> but you know what that's from, know, right? Yeah, that's from Office Space, man. Yeah. No, not Office Space. The Office. Oh, The Office. Yeah, okay, sorry. <clears throat> Which one is Office Space? Did I just make up a film? No, Office Space is this one. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Uh, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too, okay? We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. And so apropos for what we're talking about today, guys, if you're with us on the podcast today, we promise you we're going to hold your hand. Mommy and Daddy will be here for you, and we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will walk through the geek and nerd stuff because everybody knows if you're a church planner, you're way too cool to be doing accounting. Right? Can I get an amen, Pete? I'm the dad. Uh, uh, hey, man, all I know is Paul, as butch as he was, he was butchering me and you put together. He says, hey, I nursed you as a loving mother. So I'll take it, man. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. That's on you. That's on me. What, I'll take what it. What would you say no. you do here? Well, if I'm going to be the mama, it's it's time for me to get some breast milk going on. That's all I'm saying. And we are here to feed you today, Church Planner, because what we want to talk about is Ed Stetzer's The Seven Top uh, Discouragements That Church Planners Face. Let's say all of a sudden you're planning a church and the thing starts popping, it starts growing, things start moving, you're renting a building, obviously you need to generate some cash inflow. People are giving, but who's going to manage that? You need to start a 501c3. You got to be thinking about insurances. You got to do criminal background checks. It's all the stuff that nobody wants to do, right? And and it's just kind of like, you know, you weren't wired for this, but it's part of the job, okay? If you want to be an MMA fighter, <coughs> excuse me, if you want to be an MMA fighter, Right, you just think of the glory days. You think of hopping in the ring and beating the crud out of guys. Well, that's not MMA fighting. There's dieting. There's training. There's uh, giving up nights of your week. There's all kinds. There's travel. There's all kinds of stuff that you got to do. You got to buy gear. Um, you know, lots of trips to the doctor. Um, it's just stuff that you know. It's not all glory. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about that. So. Uh, Pete, any thoughts on this before we get into it, man? Because uh, you and I talk well, about this. All I would the just, time. I actually would say, you know, one of the comments that you made at the very beginning that I don't necessarily know that I agree with. And uh, you said, you know, you're not wired for this. Some people, some church planners are going to be wired for this. And um, I think when it comes no. to doing all this stuff, it's it's a matter of finding the right person who enjoys it like this is no. the kind of thing that makes him feel good no if you're good at math you have to rethink your calling you're not a church planner. no and if I'm, you don't drink coffee because i cannot think of two more different people than you and charlie and you're both church planners you know what's so funny about that is i was talking to charlie once and he goes he goes it's not that i'm good at finances it's just that i'm cheap he goes <laughs> i can't stand the fact that more money would be spent than has to absolutely like that guy, he's he he always jokes around because uh, Charlie's actual name is Carlos, right? I, I hope I didn't just end our friendship there, but uh, Charlie's so funny, man, because he he always says I must have Scottish in me somewhere, you know, either Scottish or Jewish, because he goes I can pinch a penny 
like crazy. <laughs> and it's so true, man. You know, but you're right. Like the guy and, and I totally agree with you. You know, I'm I'm only being facetious when I say you're a nerd if you like money and finances and stuff. But here's the deal. You actually somebody has to do it. And it's not always the guy who is good at it. Sometimes it's just a guy who, you know, he may not be the guy that wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, goody, man, I want to do church finances. But it has to be someone who's just willing. Um, those of you that read Church Zero, cha-ching, I talk about Jeff, right? Jeff was a prophet. I mean, he was a prophetic leader, a guy walked in the supernatural. He could not stand red tape. That guy was the most impatient guy in any kind of meeting. Because, you know, he, he was not wired for bureaucracy. But that guy, again, the same, he was just like Charlie in that way. He, he, was, he was like, hey, I'm a 1950s man. I'm tight, man. And so that's how he did it. He, he used to tell me, say, if, if Pam, his wife, uh, and he were downtown, and they walk past a, a, a dress store or a jewelry store, he goes, I always walk fast. I purposely walk fast. I speed up right before we get there. And she has to walk fast. Uh, that was pretty funny. No, not really. No, that was pretty funny. And so that that was his secret. That's how a 1950s man deals with it. But he did our finances, and he was dynamite at it, just simply because although he may not have said, I'm not really good at this, I don't have the gifting, I can do it. I do my own finances, and I'm willing. If it's a way I need to serve, that's all I'll do. But I think you're right, Pete. It it has to be a case of handing off to someone who can or who will do it. You who can or who will stuff. or who actually enjoys it. Like, I don't understand people who enjoy that stuff, but there are some who literally, it excites them to do that. And, you know, great. Use them. I mean, that's that's what they, they enjoy. So I think it's and crazy. But... The danger in a church planning situation is you might have somebody who says, hey, I'll totally do it. And, and. Unfortunately, because you're dealing with a very small corporation that's getting off the ground, um, you will have people sometimes that are thieves and people who will pilfer money out of the church. It's a temptation, you know, and sometimes people are like they're just waiting for an opportunity. So you got to be really careful um, when you're when you're finding that person. Always think in the back of your mind, what controls, what checks and balances am I going to put on this to make sure that somebody is. Let's, not pilfering money. Out let's talk about too. some of those checks and balances because, um, you know, I've told you as we're finally getting around for uh, Refuge to start its own 501c3 or whatever those numbers are, we got to put all this stuff in place for that church. And so I've been telling you my own personal view is that your treasurer should not have check writing ability. And yeah. To me, that's just like, you know, let them do all the accounting, let them, you know, make sure everyone's getting their credit and all that stuff. But where I think a lot of companies get into this problem, and I mean, it happens all the time to entrepreneurs who like pick someone, hey, you know what, you be my accountant and, you know, you're a signer on the account and that's how they end up getting ripped off. I, for one, never turn over my checkbook, not to anyone outside of my my family, my wife. Um, I'll never let someone control my money because it's too much temptation. Yep. And so like we were talking about um, the church and I said, look, I can help you out with being the treasurer, but I don't want signing authority. And you even came back to me and you go, well, you know, what if we require two signatures? Would you be one of them? And I said, no, I won't do it. 
I and to me, it's about setting the precedent because well, I'm not worried about me stealing from the church because the church has got no money. No, but um, <laughs> I I think it's the precedent that you're setting for the future. Like when I'm gone and you're gone and who's the next person in charge? If yeah. it's clear from the beginning, the treasurer does not have signing authority. It doesn't mean they can't steal, right? Because you can always figure out a way to steal. But it's a lot yeah. more difficult because now you got to have collaborators and you're you're trying to pull the wool over someone else's eyes. And that starts to get a lot more difficult. Yeah, you know, and that's so important because um, I actually 100% agree with what you're saying. I just thought if I didn't give you the ability to write the check that need to be written, you wouldn't do it. So, you know, the, the, the absolute end of the line is yes. Like, I trust you and um, I was willing to make an exception, but I actually think that needs to be the rule. And that does... You know, obviously people can steal from petty cash and there's ways to work it out. Yeah, I mean, you can always cook the books. And if you'd like to know, I can tell you how to still do it. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, when it comes down to it, um, it it is important um, for uh, the the guy who does the finances not to be able to have access to the finances. It's a serving position. It's not a power position like anything else that we do in church, right? So that's what we're looking at, is we're looking for someone who has a servant's heart, who is just willing to do what the church needs done. And and when you're starting off, you got to kind of tell people, hey, we don't see you stuck in this position. Um, you're doing this now for us, great, but give them a time, like let them serve six months, a year, whatever, and have them start looking for their replacement. Have them start training someone to take over for them, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, it does. It does. So what are some of the checks and balances that you put in places with churches when it comes to finances? Um, How do you handle the difference between signers, treasurers, uh, accounting, who checks it, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, everything that, uh, that you said so far is the first step. The second step is to um, make sure that two people are always counting the money. Um, every Sunday, two people, and it should be two people that have no access to the money um, that are counting it. Um, it should be someone like one of your elders, someone you, you really trust. It, it could be you yourself, but you might, you, know, you might feel creepy about that, and that might be something you want to delegate because after a Sunday, you, you want to make sure that you're actually there for spiritual counseling or whatever people need if someone needs discipleship or, or what have you. So... Um, but yeah, I'll always count the money there. It should go in a locked bag. Um, if you're like, oh man, I, you know, you can go to Smart and Final, you can go to Office Depot, Staples, uh, and you can buy a, a deposit bag that, you know, um, it goes into, it's locked, and then that's given to the treasurer, right? Um, when that's given to the treasurer, it's locked. The treasurer uh, has the key. They're able to, um, obviously, your treasurer ought to be at church. The treasurer is able to unlock that when they do the accounts that week. They deposit it into the bank. Um, all those things need to be there. So, um, so okay, walk just, me through this, man. Um, they take the offering. So whenever you do that, some people have, you know. Morning. It should be before the money leaves the property. Okay, so before it leaves the property. So right after the service, a couple of people yeah, go into right another after. room, I'm assuming, right? No yep. one else is looking right. at this. They're counting it. So one person counts and the other person recounts. Is that what you're doing? 
Yeah, it, what happens is they count it together. They fill out a form. That form goes in the, the locked bag. It's usually like a nylon bag with a little lock on it. Um, they lock it. The treasure is there to unlock it every week, right? Only the treasure has the key. That goes in there. Boom. It's all accounted for. Then when the treasure takes that home Sunday after church, let's say they do their accounting on Monday, they unlock that bag. And as they unlock that bag, all the money, all the checks, everything, they double check everything's there. Then all that gets deposited. Then they take that slip that the two guys, usually I, I usually make it the head usher. So in our case, it's a guy named Mike Berry, right? Mike uh, is there. He does it. Um, he used to count it with Charlie. He now counts it with someone else. So boom, boom, boom. I think it's Bonomo now. Two of them count it. Um, and then the receipt um, that they put together, the form that they do, that gets stapled with the bank deposit. So you're showing literally, and that gets filed. So you're literally showing like a form that shows these two guys counted it and went to the treasurer. You have the exact amount unless it's minus petty cash. But then the, the petty cash account needs to be set up too with people signing for petty cash. Does that make sense? But anyways, they go to the, they go, we can come back to that, but they go to the bank. The treasurer goes to the bank, say on a Monday, deposits it and staples the deposit slip to that receipt that the two guys, and that's there for every week, goes into a folder March of 2014. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the treasurer's got it at the bank, deposits it, staples it, throws it in a binder, and who who else gets a copy of all that? I mean, is it just at the treasurer's and then you know they turn it over to someone or what? Every month, the treasurer needs to send the board a copy of everything that's been done. The board, and it's the business board, you know, like um, the corporation board. We're going to go into talking about corporations in just a second. Um, but the, the board needs a copy of that every month. Now, um, the pastor usually is on the board. Um, he ought to be looking at that. He ought to know what's happening. Um, and then, you know, there's two ways you can you can set all your finances up. Number one, the best and easiest way is to ask your sending church to do all of your finances for you. Now, it won't be a lot, okay? It'll be a little extra bit. It will take the accountant maybe 30 extra minutes uh, a week. They can they just double up. They set up another spreadsheet. Um, they go to the bank at the same time. You ask them where they bank. You bank there. Um, you do it under, uh, if your name's going to be the same, let's say, for example, us, we're Refuge Huntington. The, uh, I mean, the, the sending church of Refuge Huntington, we're Refuge Long Beach. It's really easy. We do two refuge accounts, right? And they're able to do everything, check writing, check signing. That's the easiest way until you're, excuse me, until you're on your feet. Once you're on your feet, then you pull away from the mothership. And because it takes time to do your own 501c3, all that kind of stuff. So you wait until you've got all of that set up. And, um, and we should talk about setting up a 501c3. But that's the first way. The second way is from day one that you start up your own bank account and you start up your 501c3 right away. And your bank account, um, everything's retroactive once your 501c3 gets set up. Any giving that came in, let's say, you know, it's a few months process. Let's say you start in January 2014, your church. So you have a bank account, so you can take giving. Um, then you're, right away you do your 501c3, you send that in. Let's say that comes back in 
April or May um, of 2014. Everything's retroactive. Every penny you've taken in within that 12-month period is all retroactive. So you can, um, you know, basically present that at the end of the year for taxes. Does that make sense? It does. Yep, I'm with you. So let's talk real quick. Let's shift gears. So we we said this is the most boring uh, part. Uh, you know, it's, it's a boring topic, but a lot of guys, this is the maze that they got to navigate through, and it's what keeps them up at night, right? So, Pete, you got other stuff that keeps you up at night. We were talking about that today. For me, this is the crud that keeps me up at night. This is stuff that just does my head in. Um, I can't stand this stuff, and I suck at it. So, as you pointed out in the beginning, the first thing I'm always doing is trying to find other people to do this stuff. And, in fact, we've been dependent on the mothership for so long, we've been suckling at the teat of Refuge Huntington Beach. It's hard for me to be waned. I am actually loving this, but we're saying today we really, really, really need, because we are second-class citizens in a setup like that, and be aware, you actually need to set up your own 501c3. And it's very simple. (laughs) Excuse me. I I should have muted that. I've muted most of these, but uh, there's going to be some coughs coming through. But um, here's the deal. Uh, your bank account, first off, when you set that up, what you need is your name. You need to set up um, who's going to be the treasurer, who's going to have online access, who's going to be the signers, all that. But I would suggest talking to the bank people about that, right? Each bank is slightly different. Their forms are different. But just go sit down, tell them what you want to do, and set it up. If you do want to go through a Christian bank, um, there is ECCU, which is Evangelical Credit Union. Um, or evangelical, I think it's evangelical Christian credit union or something like that. Um, they, uh, have partnerships with, um, places like, um, Bank of America. So you can deposit through Bank of America, or you could just set up something at Wells Fargo or some of these, if you're a charity, they have no annual fees. I believe that Wells Fargo is pretty light on fees. Um, ECCU, the reason why people like to go through them, is simply because they're a church. They deal with thousands of church bank accounts, and they understand. The other thing they can do is they're really good about meeting you. They're really good about um, they assign a person to you for a year who checks up on you. You have access to them. You have their mobile uh, number. If you need to talk to them, you're there. But most banks will give you that, too. It's just, you know, they're just not dealing with churches all the time. So when you're sitting down with a bank and you're saying, hey, you know, we're a church, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times, um, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't know. Let me ask. And they'll and, also say, you're a mega church, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have to explain it to them. ECCU gets it. And this isn't a commercial for ECCU. They're based out of Bray, California. If you're in Southern California, it's great. If you're not, um, they just don't buy you free lunches. That's the difference. But uh, everything runs the same. Setting up a 501c3. This is probably the biggest uncharted territory that people have. Um, church planners get really scared at this because it's setting up a, what it is basically is it's a tax exempt um, organization. That's really important because you're doing a charitable deed for society. So you need to set up an organization that's not going to get taxed like a business would. Okay, you're not a business. It's not that you're there making all kinds of profit, at least hopefully not. Um, A worker is worthy of his wage, no problem, but you're not going to get a full-time wage. 
you're going to be using that bank account primarily to meet the needs of the church. And if there's some left over, that goes to you. That's just how it works. So, But you need to set up a charitable organization. It's called a 501c3. That's the category. And when you set up the 501 and it's parentheses, C, parentheses, three, right? So the three is just standing there on its own. Um, when you That's set that up, uh, section 501 of the Internal Revenue Code, subsection C, subparagraph one. That's no, awesome. Three, that you, 501 C3. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome because I have no idea about that. Yeah, because that's what a 401k is. People are like, what? Yeah, section 401, subparagraph K of the Internal Revenue Code. Oh, you taught me something today. Hey, I just thought, not I just, thought just a hat rack. To, hey, I just thought they were trying to blind me with those numbers again. It's a true story, right? I was in uh, remedial math um, in junior high. They actually, I kid you not, they actually put me in special education in math. I was so <laughs> bad in math in junior high. They not, put you in special education for a lot more than just math. <laughs> Let's let's face facts. I tell you what, I was in special. I'm a huge believer in special ed, man, because I tell you what, I could not get math. My horror story with math starts in third grade, right? I'm in third grade, and they're trying to get us to tell time. I cannot tell time. For the life of me, I can't get everyone else in the classes going, oh, suddenly, you know, at lunch, it's like 10 to lunch, 5 to lunch, whatever, and the teacher decides he's going to go around, you know, the room and uh, he's going to ask everybody uh, using his little manipulated dial. It's total manipulation. He's manipulating this dial up front. And he was like, Susie, tell me what time it is. He gets to Peyton. And I'm like, uh, uh, ah. And everyone's like, ah, oh, come on, you know. And he's like, wait, everyone, wait. It's really important that, that Peyton gets this. And, uh, and, and, and the bell rung for lunch and I still couldn't get it. He's trying to teach me and he's getting up again. He's going to the board, dude. I tell you what, I could not get it. We were 15 minutes past lunch. Every time I guess the number wrong, the kids in the class are like, Oh man, (laughs) dude, that's bad. Talk about learning under pressure, man. It was it was insane. It scarred me for life. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying. Well, that actually brings up a good point. A lot of people will assume that based on an industry someone's in, they must be good at math and therefore they should be the treasurer or whatever. I'll give you a great example. As a financial planner, technically uh, now as a registered investment advisor, um, People just assume I'm good at math and assume I'm good with numbers. No, I'm a salesman. I'm good at selling and it has nothing to do with math. And, but you would think, oh, well, you're a financial planner. You're, you're good with that stuff. Now I happen to be good with that stuff as well, but I'm a salesman. And so just don't assume because of an industry someone's in, oh, they must be good at math. Not, not necessarily. That's so true, man. It's so true. Don't assume that a writer's good at spelling either. I know some incredible wow. writers, and they can't spell worth jack. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, you like reading their work, and you're like, dude, that that actually looks like a five year old wrote it. Until they get an editor, I I actually am good at spelling, you know. So, but I suck at grammar. I always feel sad for my editor. So, uh, but but here's the deal. So you know, I and oh, and I kid you not, like seventh grade, 
um, they showed this movie in math class. It was the best day of math ever. It was Donald Duck in Mathemagical Land. Have you ever seen that? No. Dude, it's like Scrooge McDuck, or or I think it was Scrooge McDuck, goes through this like magic. It was someone's drug trip based around math. There's all these weird like numbers playing tubas and aliens that, you know, are shaped like the number four and they're coming up messing around with them. That was like the best thing. I'm like, I get this, man. I get Scrooge McDuck, right? I get the whole cartoon thing. Why doesn't math teach me of cartoons all the time? Voltron 5, I get it. Chaka, there's one of him, but he has two brothers on Land of the Lost. I get it. There are four pylons in Land of the Lost. I get it. You got to move them in these geometrical shapes in this certain mathematical pattern. But anyways, I digress. Yes. So anyways, going back to uh, to math. Oh, where, where in the heck were we? No, I think, we we were ba- I think we were actually on the 501c3 getting that oh, set yeah, up. That's right. Yeah, so I just saw it was one of those numbers like people were using to like freak me out, 501c3. But it makes me feel really smart when I say it. Oh, yeah, you, you totally need a 501c3, dude. But at the end of the day, here's, here's what you need. Um, number one, you need somebody's existing 501c3 uh, charter. You need a constitution and bylaw to set up a 501c3. Um, secondly, I would look into a nonprofit lawyer. Okay. Now they're expensive. Um, there's a state fee and then there's the lawyer's fee. State fee in the state of California right now, apparently is somewhere around $800. Um, it's kind of high, uh, but there's a lot of people in California and our government's corrupt. So there you go. <laughs> and I know this firsthand from the state of California. Absolutely. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger quit, you know, because he's like, hey, man, this place is too corrupt. I got to get out of here. But the the reality is that uh, he's got mouths to feed. Lots of them. Sorry. Was that (laughs) was that too far? Is that too much? No, that was perfect. Okay, that was perfect. Um, Dude, anything to liven up this conversation, right? I apologize for nothing. (laughs) So, you know, here we are. We're talking basically about. uh, 501c3, get somebody else's and use it as a stinking template. I'll never forget when there was this guy, uh, Roger Wing, from the Calvary Chapels who stood up and said, hey, all you guys, you're all concerned about the 501c3s. Here's ours. Now, we took his existing 501c3. Uh, know this, uh, excuse me, not 501c3, but Constitution bylaws. You have to have that um, to, to set up a 501c3. You've got to have a mission statement. You know, they want to know what you're going to do. And the, and the rule for um, setting up your mission statement and your constitution bylaws is in your constitution bylaws, it has to reflect how the organization is actually going to run. It's kind of like a constitution. They're basically saying, look, you can't have a country without a constitution. We got to know the rules. We got to know how you operate. So we do you get to ignore your constitution as well? Absolutely. Oh, sorry. But when the rubber hits the road, just know that that is a legal document. So whenever things like, uh, you know, come up where someone's like doing a hostile takeover of the church or what have you, um, that's the document that that wins in a court of law. Um, Oh, so it's not like our Constitution. Gotcha. Okay. All right. (laughs) There is a Supreme Court. Um, It's just the normal court. They will look at that and they will say, well, it says here in your Constitution bylaws. For example, let's say you have a church. Um, the pastor uh, leaves the church and a new pastor comes in 
He can do whatever the heck he wants, regardless of what the elders board says, as long as he is functioning within the Constitution bylaws. He can override them. That's how important that document is. So when you make that document up, make sure that it actually reflects you. And be thinking about a lot more than just what you're doing right now. Think about the future when you're yeah, gone. And, and it has to has to have things like, you know, how do you call meetings together? Um, you know, how do you vote on things? How do you, you know, but like I said, find an existing document, right? I'm not going to go over all the things it needs to have, because if you just follow my instruction and get one of your sending church or a church you really respect is even better. I, I remember getting the one from Parkland's Evangelical, which is Alistair Beggs. Um, I, I kind of like some things about it. You can grab one from Mars Hill. You can grab one from Refuge Long Beach. We'll share ours with you. The reason that ours may be helpful to some of our guys listening is they've uh, read Church Zero, cha-ching, and they uh, have subscribed to the uh, Fist Leadership. Now, Charlie and I went away for a romantic weekend together and uh, had a little bromance on the side. And I'm sorry, Pete, a traitor to you, two-timing a little bit. But uh, that, I just said that. I was I looking remember. for a threesome, but... You know, whatever. I, I just said that because it makes Pete really uncomfortable when I talk like that. But Charlie and I, we did laugh because Charlie had a trailer out in the desert. And we sat there with this document. You really were we breaking bad. sat in the jacuzzi <laughs> for like hours and wrote this thing. And then we went back to the trailer and, you know, drunk coffee and wrote this, rewrote it and hammered out somebody else's template. I cannot like, tell you how gay up. that sounds to me. I know. I knew it would, but you got to do it, right? And and it's best to get away. It's going to take you the better part of eight hours to uh, work through someone else's and make changes. So we did one. We used a template, and we cut out probably 50% of it because it was so redundant and so poorly written. And then we had to rejig it so that it reflected fist leadership. The model we were using had a Moses model. Guy, guy, uh, like a the pastor was like the man at the top, and no one could oppose him. No one could fire him. There's no accountability, and we changed that. Interesting. That's really interesting that you would start off your church that way. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I, I guess, I just don't have that much faith in myself. <laughs> I look at myself, and I'm like, man, I screw up all the time. Yeah. Well, like, like, share, share a little bit more about that because it might be helpful. <laughs> no, Dude. not about that, but you know what I mean. I'm like a screw up, man. I am. I would not want my voice to be the final end all be all when it comes to church. Now, in business, I'm ruthless. I'm the king. Everyone else is a subject. That's just the way I run it in in business. Well, you you know how I am, Pete. Right? Like, I'm I'm my own worst enemy. Right. When it comes to people paying me, I'm my own worst enemy. When it comes to people giving me power, I'm my own worst enemy. And maybe I'm my greatest friend because the reality is those things make me hugely uncomfortable. And I think that that has helped keep me honest over the years where I'm just not comfortable with people kissing my butt. You know, I'm I'm an apostle. I, I go somewhere, I lay a foundation, I get out of there. So I don't need power. You don't have to give me power. What I do is I lead. I actually follow. I'm not a cattle driver. I'm a shepherd. And Jesus said the sheep uh, hear the voice of the shepherd. and They know him and they trust him and they follow. You know, like you said, the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they follow. So I've always kind of taken the approach to leadership that 
if I'm leading rightly, people will follow me. Does that make sense? I don't got to have all this power. I don't need to be a cattle driver coming behind them. I'll go out in front. I'll lead the way and they'll follow. Me. Does well, that make sense? it makes sense. I don't know that I agree with it just because people are, you know, yeah. inherently sinful. So just because Absolutely. you're leading right doesn't mean they're going to follow right. You're right. You're right. But when it comes to church leadership, here's the deal. Um, in order to be an elder member, the, the the key to me for being an elder is I have to know that guy would lay his life down. If the church had the finances, he would leave his cushy job, leave his career. And I knew that about Charlie. Charlie Marquez would leave his career in a heartbeat. He would take a pay cut. Same with Chris uh, Langham. In fact, he did take a pay cut. He was getting paid double where he was for what he's getting from us right now. And so that's those are the things I look for is a guy who's not a hireling, a guy who will lay his life down for the sheep. And that's where the rubber meets the road. If this guy, if it's like, oh, I'm going to keep my cushy job. And then uh, if the finances you know, are there, I'll still keep my cushy job because this is a weekend hobby for me. Well, then that guy's a hireling. So he does not get to be an elder. He, I will not put him on equal standing. So there is a check and balance. But the check and balance is, dude, you're serving the Lord here, and you'd lay your life down for these people. If you lay your life down for these people, you can have this church. I don't care what you do. If you're good, if you're willing to take that big of a pay cut to come here and serve these people, if you want the church that bad, you can have it. I never fight people for churches anymore. Yeah, um, well, see, I that's would, kind of the way that I would look at it is I, I wouldn't be afraid to walk away from the church. and. Probably that's because I see things differently than how I, I know a lot of church planners are going to see it. You know, we've talked about yeah. this. Most church planners are not serial church planners, and that's fine. I mean, most people aren't called to do that. So being an entrepreneur, I am not afraid of starting over again because I've done it so many times, and I'll do it so many times in the future. It's like yep. my biggest asset is what I know. Like, my experiences have taught me what works, what doesn't work, what I need to do when. And I would look at the churches the same way. I'd be like, look, this is the right way to go. And if I'm getting voted out or however you're setting that thing up, I'll walk away, man. I'll walk away you and know, start another one. It's so interesting that you said this because once, you know, I used to uh, find friends in, you know, this is how I used to pick my friends. I'd pick the guy that was the weirdest, most eccentric dude the guy who's the most unlike me because I've always been fascinated in how people live their lives. Right. So if you look at like my gamut of friends, they're the guys that, you know, build motorcycles. I'm not that dude. Right. Um, they're the guys that go out hunting. I'm not that dude. I pick guys that are nothing like me. And over the years, I've, I've always joked around that my friends tend to be people that just interest me because they're so different to my situation. And I think that's psychologically, uh, subliminally at least, how I pick my friends. But when I became a serial church planner, it is the trippiest thing. My friends that, and the people I connected with the most were entrepreneurs. And so it's so interesting to hear you say that because there is a similarity. Um, Mark Driscoll often likens the church planner to an entrepreneurial leader or an entrepreneurial uh, minister. And that is, in fact, what a church planner is. So it's not surprising to hear you say that because we do come at it um, a lot the same. Think of it now. Paul naturally, uh, just in the secular world, as a tent maker, was an entrepreneur. 
he had to go from marketplace to marketplace, set up a tent, uh, build a new clientele, start a new business, and he by nature was an entrepreneur. Yeah, so, but you know, to be fair, in that day and age, everyone was. Like you didn't go get a job unless you were a servant. I mean, not necessarily though, because nah. Paul was a traveling salesman. He he was able to take entrepreneurial skills and hit the road. See, he was in Tarsus for eleven years before Barnabas got him. And so Paul was able to take an entrepreneurial bent and put it to work uh, for the gospel. Can he you imagine what Paul would have done if he'd had the ability to charge people's credit cards reoccurringly on a monthly basis? <laughs> it's, you know, it's always interesting to think those questions. I always wonder that. But you always find that people that are, you know, kind of kingdom minded, they kind of blow all that stuff out the water. It's like, it's like Keith Green, right? The guys that have the biggest impact, guys like uh, John Wesley where he, you know, sets a stipend for the rest of his years, how many, you know, how much money he needs, and the rest goes back in the ministry. Um, and the guy was like pulling in tons of money every year, but he set a stipend in his first year of ministry. He lived on that. Keith Green, giving his albums away. It's just you do think in terms of, um, you know, uh, you just change it. It, it. It's not any more dollars and cents to you. It's about impact for the kingdom, and money becomes literally a tool. It's not your idol anymore. And I remember you wrote me something this week. Uh, we haven't even talked since this, but Tuesday night, you texted me about a buddy of yours dropped dead. And you oh. said, hey, you know, all this stuff I'm doing yeah. to make money, you're like, I just, I want to pour it all now into the kingdom. This guy was like 50-something, and he dropped Yeah, dead. well, that's the thing that just, like I told you in one of the last podcasts, man, I cannot stop thinking about death. I don't mean in a morbid way, but in a, you know, I mean, probably part of it is because I'm getting older, you know, I'm, I'm a, a whopping 38 years old, but it's like, you know, I'm not as a spring chicken like I once was. My folks were down right this last weekend because we, we had a, an uncle that passed away and I'm looking at my folks and they're getting old. I mean, like literally they can barely walk both of them. Not only are they getting old, dude, but like I, I saw your parents age over the past year. I see them like what once, twice a year, maybe. Yeah. And they were a lot older this year than they normally are. I know. And, and my mom is still working at 70 something years old. I mean, or maybe just 70. I mean, she's, she's still working and her whole thing is that, she's almost at 15 years at her job, right? At 15 years, she gets medical paid for life. I'm like, yeah, but then what if you drop dead the next day? I mean, that kind of blows. I mean, you're not a spring yeah. chicken anymore. But then she's like, she loves what she does. She's a, a nurse, and uh, so she's a case manager. And she goes Dude, around your parents there. look like country western singers. Did you know that? Like, I when I saw them on Sunday, I picked My dad on grew up on a ranch, dude, on a farm. So I swear to you. I could have seen them on like the Grand Old Opry, you know, busting out like, you know. My dad's from uh, Bakersfield, man. What do you expect when you're from Bakersfield? <laughs> Justin Ropers, y'all. I'm but, just saying. But yeah, so, no, so when this guy dropped dead on Tuesday, right? I'm I'm uh, I'm doing some stuff in the uh, the real estate industry. And so I I emailed a buddy of mine who's a broker and I'm like, "Hey, look, dude, I got this awesome thing I got to show you. It's a great way to generate leads in real estate." And I need some people to use it for free. Uh, you know, you tell me who are the best agents there because I'm going to load them up with leads. These guys are going to make a killing. I'm going to use them as a testimonial. 
And he emails me back, hey, I'm, I'm on the way to the hospital. We just had a guy drop dead in our office. And so wow. I called up my buddy who works at the same thing. I'm like, who died? And he told me who it was. And I'm like, dude, he was a client of mine. I mean, he's mm-hmm. bought stuff for me in the past. He was young. He's 56 years old. And the thought that's going through my head is, was dude a Christian? I don't know. You know, yeah. like when your time is up, you don't know when your time is up. He did not wake up that morning thinking he was going to die that day. No one does. Yeah. Right. And I mean, he's at work, massive heart attack, hour later, dead. Yeah. And and here's the thing is we're talking about all these stupid, stupid things today, right? Like that's what it comes down to is, you know, that dude's dead. Did he hear the gospel? So when you're doing this stupid stuff, like I said, in, in jump school, it's called stupid stuff I hate. There's actually a section on this. By the way, I got to say, Pete, I know like we always joke about how we pump our stuff up. I'm working on my third book right now, which is called God Save the Church, um, which I'm not, you know, I was really thrilled about. And then I'm, I'm working on it and I'm like, man, this is hard. But I went back and looked at Jump School. The book is hot, dude. Like, it's hot. Is it the hot? You know, when you're like, when you're right close up to it, you, you sometimes like, oh, yeah, you know, my church planning book. Um, church Zero was a church reformation book. It wasn't actually on church planning. A lot of people miss it. Even my publisher, my agent fought with them and said, this is not a church planning book. This is a church reformation book. But anyways, the uh, jump school's freaking hot. Like I was going back reading it last night. I was looking for like information, like something I typed. I'm like, I know I wrote that and I don't know where it is. So I thought, well, maybe it's in jump school somewhere and I want to put it in the new book. But uh, I was blown away by how good of a church planning book that is because I read church planning books by the dozen. And I was like, dang, that is just a good book. So not to pump my own book up, cha-ching, but I just did. I'm just glad that you believe in your own work because, you know. Hey, no one else does, man. I'm just saying. But here's the deal. Coming back to this with the the 501c3, um, when we're talking about Pete's buddy dropping dead, right, um, it sucks. And this is – Kind of like if you think about it, like I said in the beginning, it's not the ding ding, you know, swinging around in the MMA fight. It's the sucky underbelly of what needs to be done. And if you think about it, the temple, a third of the Levites, right? Like that was the glory position. Those are the priests. A third of those guys, all they did was carry buckets of water. They carried wood. Those are the Korahites. And then they also, uh, did the um oh, sorry the Korahites? I was mixing up a term. The core the core the sons of Korah were actually worshippers, but a third of the Levites actually just carried the temple poles and the equipment and set it up, and that was an act of worship. That's what made it pop. That was kind of like hey, for the magic to happen, this cruddy stuff needs to be done. So if you're a hyper spiritual out there too, and you're like oh this sucks, you know a lot of the uh, house community. Uh, church com- missional community guys are like, oh, don't do all that. Well, go talk to Soma because I just I'm talking with them a lot right now, and uh, they're doing all this stuff because once you get to a certain size, you have to do it. So, um, in this is inevitable, and it's something you're going to have to face. And so, although we are like, hey, this is kind of boring, it is in the top seven things that that church planners have to face, and this list is the toughest. So you got to do it. So anyways, on top of having your constitution bylaws, you also need to have um, three officers legally to be a corporation. You have to have a president, you have to have a treasurer, 
and you have to have a secretary. And let me like just throw said, in there that uh, your state may vary. Okay, yeah, it's that's good because all I know is California. And so that that's good, man. De- definitely check into that. But realize that the president, and, and I'm saying this because, um, you know, some people will be creeped out like, oh, don't give me authority, don't give me power. You don't have power. The reason for a corporation uh, a nonprofit corporation is to limit power. It's all about accountability when you're dealing with a charitable status. The the IRS wants to know that you're not going to screw anyone. There's tons of checks and balances in a 501c3. And when you're the president, um, the reason I say you ought to be the president is that it's the visionary position. A president more than anything ought to be the visionary. Um, you don't have to be the practical guy. The president is the one who spearheads the organization. And I would actually argue, and this is based on the guy that runs Carnegie Hall. He wrote a book, uh, oh shoot, I think it's called The, um, the uh, Giving Game Plan or something stupid like that. I can't remember it. But he runs Carnegie Hall and he raises like crazy money for Carnegie Hall every every year in New York in Manhattan where they run, you know, the arts and plays and all that. But he has a, a, a book on, um, I can't remember if it's a charitable giving game plan or the, the charity, I don't know, the new giving game plan, something like that. But in that book, he basically says that the president ought to be the visionary. And he's right because you're a PR. The president is a PR guy and you're also meant to kind of carry the org forward. So, I always argue the church planner ought to be that guy because it's a visionary position. It's not a practical position. But the other two positions that are required by law are practical positions. So number one, you got your treasure. We've talked about that. Someone to do your finances. And number two, your secretary. And all that is is somebody who writes minutes and publishes them to the rest of the group. Deals with the correspondence that comes in every month, blah, 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 blah. And that's it. And so you got to have those three roles. They should not, nor do they necessarily have to be, nor shouldn't they be necessarily, but they do not have to be your elders of the church. But they do have voting powers, and you need to know this. Um, Ideally, they should be elders for that reason. But if you cannot find people to be elders, I mean, you know, elders that are willing to do those offices, then pick someone like we talked about last week who's willing to do it and who uh, is passionate about the work of God there. Um, don't just fill it with someone who's not spiritually qualified. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, it does. So the officers, is that the same as the board? It is. Okay. It is the legal board of the church. And for that reason, because like when we saw with Bob Coy, when Bob Coy stepped down, the board took over because they were looking to, to uh, control the financial assets. Now, that doesn't need to happen. Uh, that, that actually is, a, is an unspoken thing that normally happens. But should the pastor fall moral failure, they're thinking legally. So they're like, hey, pastors on staff, we don't give a rip about you because it's our button to sling here. So we are literally um, the people responsible before a court uh, of law uh, as to what happens with this organization. That's why they usually take the power. They do have the power. Um, 
you know, legally. They could take everything from everybody uh, as long as the Constitution bylaw uh, spells that out. Because the Constitution bylaw is a protection that says that the uh, church, <coughs> excuse me, the church is safe, um, you know, if there's an abuse of power or what have you. So you put the checks and balances in there. Well, those can be a double-edged sword. Those can come back and bite you in the butt. So what you need to have in there is if you don't have that the elders are serving in those roles. Um, and, and, and again, it's suggested, but it's not a requirement. But for that reason, I would suggest putting spiritually minded people, whether it's pastors of another church, they need to be spiritually qualified people because eventually they're going to be the ones left holding the back. I dig it. Are we finally done with this? Can we finally kill the subject? Yeah. Amen, brother. This sucks. <laughs> Shot it dead. All right. So thank us later. It wasn't fun for us. I'm sure it wasn't fun for you. Um, like I said, this the heading in jump school, cha-ching, is stupid stuff I hate. And it is stupid stuff, but according to Ed Stetzer, it's number four on the list of things that you guys can't stand, drives you crazy, and brings you discouragement. And uh, I'd just like to say in closing that the next issue, Church Planner Magazine, it's on the newsstand. It's actually uh, been out this week and uh, just now got around to announcing it. So it's up there. Download it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, definitely go check it out. I mean, we say this every time, don't we, Pete, that we think each issue is our best issue. But... Yeah, see, I don't know if I think this one's our best. I don't know. Yeah. I well, you know, it, it it's hard to top the one that says when it's time to quit. But we've got some killer, killer articles in this one. What I like about this, I, I had a Who graces buddy, the cover of this one? What's that? Who graces the cover of this one? It's uh, uh, Dave Ferguson from yep. uh, New Thing, New Thing Network. Um, he is one of the instrumental guys in Exponential, and he's on the cover. And he's got an amazing article in there called uh, How Does Your Church Keep Score or Keeping Score? And it's basically all about how you measure success, which is close to our heart because it's counterintuitive and it's not like the business world. He pulls it back a little bit and says, wait a second, you know, and he, he kind of puts it back on the discipleship level, um, which discipleship is the new buzzword. You'll hear all kinds of things being thrown on. It was missional a few years ago. Now it's discipleship and the missional crowd saying, oh yeah, you know, that's what we meant the whole time. But, uh, but basically they're all writing books about discipleship now and you'll, you'll notice these trends. But anyways, Dave's, uh, Dave's written a very valuable article as well as some of our other guys in there um, who, you know, always deliver, but uh, some new authors in there. We got one article in there about a guy and this one was the most fascinating to me. Um, a guy who put on a tack line uh, in his community and just basically said, you know, I want to take church out there and did pull the John Wesley, pull the Jesus, pull the, you know, where church is in the cemetery, or church is on the lake or, you know, while he's standing in a boat. This guy goes, I'm going to put some tack lines up in my community and watch what happens. He started a church community out around this tack line. Uh, which is basically uh, tight rope walking. And that's a great article. So be sure to check it out. Absolutely. Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.